stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Welcome on this crisp evening. I am excited about the conversation we're going to have tonight because so far on the Rebel Road, we have been discovering a lot of different things, and it is expanding our minds into looking at some of the patterns and the behaviors and the beliefs that we each keep as we move along the Rebel Road from city to city, uh, putting on the show and speaking with people and meeting with people. We are seeing the signs and the symbols and connections and how certain patterns keep showing up in our life and how certain issues keep arising and how that affects different people in their health. And this came at a very timely moment when I was to have this wonderful guest, Dr. Mario Martinez, on the show. And he has an incredible piece of work called the Mind-Body Code. It is truly uh, something that is so complementary with all of the work that I do simply because it takes it takes a whole different slant to really help people integrate how we truly come to these belief systems and where they anchor in our body and, and how there are different ways out of that um, as we go through it. And so I'm very excited about the deep conversations that we will be having in regard to this work. He is uh, the creator of something coined as biocognitive and biocognition, and we're going to go into what this is. He is a neuropsychologist and has created the mind-body code as a means to really assist people in understanding that there is a reason that all of these belief systems and patterns get embedded within us, and there is also a way out uh, if we're willing to go that direction and really integrate this into our lives. So without further ado, and in order to get deeply into this beautiful conversation, I'd like to welcome Dr. Mario Martinez to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, chat with you and and share some of the ideas and work that, uh, that I'm doing. Well, it's exciting work that you're doing, and I think that so many people are going through so many challenging situations, and it's so easy to want to just think it's all random or that life is hard or works in a certain way, and a lot of what your work does is to help us take a certain level of responsibility as to how and why the world is looking as it's looking, because we are looking through certain filters of belief systems and ideas that we have really bought into. Talk a little bit first about what this term that you have coined, biocognition, what that term means. Uh, biocognition is a, is a way of as a philosophy and a, and a science to bring together several disciplines that were not 
or are not communicating with each other. So, for example, psychoneuroimmunology, PNI for short, is, is an interdiscipline that studies how thoughts and emotions affect the immune system, the nervous system, and the endocrine system, uh, and has elegantly shown the mind-body connection, but it doesn't really talk about culture. Most of the work is done in labs, and it's done with rats or with individuals in, in, in labs or uh, college students. On the other side, you have uh, cultural anthropology that looks at how we shape our beliefs in each culture, uh, the, our sense of uh, wellness or our sense of ethics, and but they don't look at the, the biology of what's going on. So what biocognition does is it brings together those two fields and a couple more that I'll talk about later, and basically it's mind-body in a cultural context, which the culture really pretty much determines the way that our biology is going to play out. Uh, we're, we're not genetically sentenced. We have genetics as only a predisposition to be played out based on the belief systems that we have and what the culture supports and, and not support. Now, you talk about this as being a language and that this is um, a, a biosymbolic language which can be a new model of help for all of us. Um, help, it, help people to understand what you mean by it being a language if it's not uh, a language that they're used to seeing. Yes, and what, what happens, first we have to look uh, quickly at how we perceive. When we're very little, when we're born and, and we're infants, we rely on, on people and, and we have a preservation instinct. And the people around us, uh, not only our, our brain waves are very, very open to suggestion, fade away when we're little, but we, we pay tremendous attention to what those people tell us, what I call cultural editors, which are parents and teachers and so forth. We need to, in order to learn and to uh, survive the world, so if that culture, for example, you from a, from a powerful culture editor that, that you depend on, says to you, um, don't go out in the rain because you'll catch a cold, what that symbol becomes, it, it, it goes into the brain and the amygdala picks up on it and the parts of the brain that have to do with fear pick up on it, and the rain then becomes the symbol for uh, a fearful event, a stressful event, just like if somebody said, don't put your hand on the fire because you'll burn yourself. So then you go out in the rain, and you defy that, you go out in the rain, but since that symbol was already learned as a symbol of fear and a symbol of, of danger, you will begin to secrete cortisol, which is a, a, a hormone, a stress hormone, and the cortisol usually suppresses immune function. If it suppresses immune function, you go out in the rain, and whatever bug is out there, you'll catch it, you'll come back home, and your mother will say, see, I told you not to go out in the rain because the, the rain is dangerous. So those are the symbols that we learn, and without knowing it, we are shaped by those symbols of what's good, what's bad, what's dangerous, what's not. And we live that out, not knowing that our body's responding to something we learned that we may not agree with. And it's not only that we're learning something, but you go deeper and say it, it can be culturally based or it can be um, brought about from a lot of different types of uh, external factors. So talk a little bit about uh, a belief system that may be different between cultures and how that shapes someone's um, own life and someone's own physiology through the process. Okay. Uh, it, it's easier to, to understand. I think what, I, what I'm presenting is a new model of the immune system, that the immune system is not just a protector. The immune system is a lot more than that. It confirms the reality or what I call the operating consciousness that we live out. So, for example, we know from psychodominology that if you are shamed, if someone shames you and, and, and you have that emotional embarrassment, you're going to secrete molecules that cause inflammation, interleukins 2 and other kinds of uh, inflammatory um, processes, almost just like as if you're getting uh, um, wounded. 
it's, it's an emotional wound. So in Peru, for example, they call the menopause, especially the hot flashes, they call it bochorno, which means the shame. So when you're having the hot flashes, you're saying, I'm having the shames. The word shame causes inflammation. So when you look at Peruvian women when they're going through the menopause, especially when they're having the uh, hot flashes, they have higher levels of uh, interleukins and, and, and other inflammatory products. But when you go to Japan, and here's another culture belief, Japan says a woman going through menopause is having her second spring. It's an opportunity to grow, mm-hmm. become a wisdom uh, resource. They don't have the inflammation that the women in, in Peru have. So you see, the culture will shape and the biology will follow rather than the other way around. So now through your, through your CD collection, the Mind-Body Code, uh, you help people not just hear this in their brains because so often we, we think that it's going to be easy by just listening to something and we're going to grasp that. We never truly grasp it in that way unless we fully get it into the body. So your approach is one of explanation so that we understand the process, but then it's also one of integration. Can you give a little insight as to what an integration process might be for someone that is dealing with a health issue or has a belief system such as one of the ones you've described uh, in, in this segment already? Yes, and, and, and the Mind-Body Code, which is uh, that series of CDs that you were talking about, uh, I talk about, for example, what I've learned from centenarians, what I've learned uh, in, in the learning of illnesses. And at the end of each of the CDs, there's, there's actual um, practical tools. So we, you can't just say, um, oh, I'm, 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 I'm a good person. It doesn't work that way because we didn't learn goodness or badness at, at the intellectual level. That's why a lot of times when you do imagery, it doesn't last. It doesn't have the, the, uh, the sustainability. But if you embody what's called embody, so I'll give you a real simple example. You tell yourself, I'm a good person, and you have a history of being told you're not a good person. Your body has gotten used to that sense of that, that sense of self as not being good. And when you say, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person, and you don't go into how the body's responding, what I call embodiment, then what you're doing is you're just wasting your time because you're doing an intellectual um, trying to change process. But if you, for example, you say, I'm a good person, and then you pay attention to your body, and you'll feel that your body's actually responding as if it's a stressful situation. Simply, the code is that you, uh, you breathe into a part of the body. You don't try to change it. You don't try to stop um, the, the process. You just breathe. It's like you're opening the door for some, uh, a storm to come in and go out. You do that, and then you do it over and over again, and gradually your body starts getting used to it. But that's just the first part. The second part is that this is evidence-based. You need evidence. So you go into relaxation, and you ask yourself, when have I been uh, good in my, per- in, in my life? When have I been honorable? When have I been brilliant? And you bring those memory packs, and those memories are already wrapped around all of the biology that happened at the time when you had the memory. So what you're bringing out is a cleansing process. You bring in an, an antidote to, to that uh, unworthiness, and you experience again. You say, I remember when I was in the fourth grade, I, um, was, uh, I was really very good with a friend of mine. I helped him when he was sick, or whatever it was. Oh, I got a good grade, and my, my teacher uh, told me that I was bright. How does that feel? Then you embody that. And gradually what you're doing is you're doing a, an evidence-based change, and your biochemistry changes, your psychodominology changes, because you have positive emotions and you have negative emotions, and each of them have correlations of uh, stress hormones or um, and things that, that actually enhance the immune function. So, for example, if you think that the immune system is a protector, why is it that when you, when you observe compassion, an act of compassion, 
your um, your IGAs go up, which are your uh, that type of uh, antibody that protects you against upper respiratory. You, your uh, neutrophils go up. Uh, your natural killer cells, which kill precancer cells, go up. Why? You're not fighting anything. And the reason is that the immune system is a confirmer of good and bad. You give it good, it confirms good. You give it bad, it confirms bad. And I'm oversimplifying, but really that is the, the, the essence of, of, of the, of the mind-body code. So there are two, two processes primarily for integration, and that would involve the breath and then creating the evidence. The, the breath work that is involved in it, is that to bring attention to spaces that we've not allowed so that we go back and refill uh, and, and allow uh, the opening of the cells in that way? Is that what's taking place physiologically well, when we focus on the breath? You, you, when you repeat something, you create uh, neuromaps, and they become stronger and stronger because the brain interprets it. If I'm repeating this, it must be important for preservation. So you, you have that repetition. But when you breathe, if you say, I want to relax my arms, that, ha- that requires more neurons in your brain, more brain cells, than if you say, I'm going to observe what's going on in my arms. So the body will resolve by you. Observation is a way of, of it has a healing effect because you're, you're sending not only attention, but you're sending blood. You're, you're, you're becoming aware of what you're doing to yourself throughout the day. You're not aware of the tensions and mindlessness kind of thing that we do. And eventually that has a, uh, an effect. If you're tense all day and you're not aware, you're going to have muscle tension that later turns into chronic pain or other kinds of things. So yes, you, you go and you observe and the breathing in a sense, uh, brings a sense of resolution and awareness. And then you bring in, the, it's like a cleansing, then you bring up the additional uh, or the information that's supposed to be replacing it, and gradually what happens is that those neural maps that you created, that I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person, become recontextualized. It's not a reconditioning, it's a recontextualizing. And then you can accept that you're a good person because it's an, it's an evidence-based situation. But we tend to, if we're told we're bad, we have a very selective perception. You forget all the good things that you've done. You only focus on the bad. So you confirm what you were told rather than the reality of the things that you have done that are good. And that's why the evidence is so important because we've spent years and years and years proving to ourselves all of those uh, negative beliefs or those um, disempowering thoughts. And so now we're, we're almost reprogramming or allowing ourselves to create the proof to go the other direction so that we can't fall back on the previous evidence that we had. Yes, and what we're doing is we're, it's more than reprogramming, we're recontextualizing, which is changing the self-meaning. And the self-meaning is, for example, if I say to you, you're brilliant, what is the self-meaning of that? It's a word, but how do you feel it? How do you manifest it in your body? What are the emotions that you feel? But if, on the contrary, I say you're, you're dumb, that has a self-meaning also, and it has a biochemistry, and it has a, an immunological response. Uh, so what you're doing is you're recontextualizing, which means that you're changing the meaning of that context at the mind-body level by changing actually the, the felt meaning of the circumstance. So what you're doing is not, not only are you changing the intellectual component, but you're changing the biology that needs to go along with, with the good things, just like the biology with bad things goes along with, uh, with stress. So it's really a science of hope, a science of opportunities, but based on science, not based on something that I dreamt up. It's based on many, many years of research and taking the best out of neuroscience, taking the best out of cultural anthropology, phenomenology, and bringing it all together and creating that concept that we have tremendous power over ourselves, but we have to look for evidence 
that's, that, uh, that supports that. The evidence that says, if you think you're good, well, uh, show me you're good. Your body will say, show me you're good, in a sense. And you have to show it. If you don't show it, then I don't buy that. And, and you continue to follow that uh, negative, uh, self-destructive kind of uh, way of looking at the world. You may know that your mind influences your health, but what's influencing your mind? Until you answer this question, you may be overlooking a key factor on the path to personal excellence. On the Mind-Body Code, pioneering neuropsychologist Dr. Mario Martinez invites you to discover the dynamic interplay between your thoughts, body, and cultural history to master the creation of wellness and fulfillment. The Mind-Body Code is a six-disc audiobook, so you can really allow yourself to take in that information wherever you are and allow yourself to finally step into the places where you integrate into your body through the practices that he goes through in those CDs and allow it to be something that stays within your body rather than something that can slip away just from the intellectual meaning of it. I invite you to take a look at the Mind-Body Code along with all of the other tools and resources that Dr. Martinez offers you. You can go to his website, biocognitive.com. That's biocognitive.com. The Mind-Body Code is produced by Sounds True, and you can find that on Amazon, or you can find it on his website or at the soundstrue.com site. We'll be right back with Dr. Mario Martinez and the Mind-Body Code. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. If you have not tapped into the YouTube channel, definitely go there. It is Simran Singh 1111. The Rebel Road is hitting many different cities and interviewing people along the way to really identify individuals that are being rebels in their own lives. And there are some incredible spotlight interviews. So definitely tap into those and watch some of the video. Uh, interviews that are taking place, along with a new series 
that I have called Conversations with Myself, a wonderful interaction of dialogue between myself and one of the other rebels on the road with me, Chuck Self, and we discuss a lot about the gene keys, the human design, uh, the blueprint of the body from a consciousness standpoint, and it is something that is quite profound and a lot of fun, so I invite you to be a part of that. In addition, you can always access 1111 Magazine freely, and it is power-packed with amazing voices and articles all of the time to bring more wisdom and richness to your life in whatever way and shape that you need to receive that information. So definitely tap into that along with all other archives on the 1111 Talk Radio Show. If you've not read my book, Conversations with the Universe, definitely get your copy. It will help you understand the many ways that the universe is speaking to you through the world, what all of the signs and symbols uh, come to create for you as paragraphs in your life to help guide you through your situations. And I'm extremely excited that my next book, Your Journey to Enlightenment, 12 Guiding Principles of Love, Courage, and Commitment, releases in three weeks. And I think it is an amazing book. This book, the information just poured in. And as I went back and reread the final edit, I had to ask myself, who wrote this? This is amazing stuff. So I invite you to definitely get that book and discover that Earth, instead of being an Earth school, maybe it's time to turn it into the playground it was always intended to be. My guest today is the creator of the Mind Body Code, Dr. Mario Martinez, and it is a powerful CD course that you can get that will truly help you start to understand how to move beyond some of the barriers that you have had. He is a pioneering neuropsychologist, and he will help you to understand the dynamic interplay between your thoughts, body, and cultural history so that you master the creation of wellness and fulfillment. You can go to his website, biocognitive.com, and see much more about him along with other articles. And he's got an upcoming event in February uh, at the L.A. Conscious Living Expo. So if you're around that area or wanting to take a trip out, that would be a wonderful opportunity to see him. The Mind-Body Code gives you exposure to the five portals of wellness and the biosymbolic language of your mind-body, how to break through your feelings of abundance by healing the archetypal wounds, how to debunk the myths of aging with the secrets of the centurions, and how to move through many different things, creating healing fields of honor, commitment, and loyalty, along with the psychology of forgiveness. So I definitely invite you to explore more of this amazing pioneer's work and a lot of the amazing changes that he is creating for people through uh, his philosophy and teachings. He has done tremendous research and has a lot to back up everything that he has created through this course and uh, all of his work. So welcome back, Dr. Martinez. It is, again, a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. You have done a lot of work with centurions, and they do live... um, for a long time, it often seems like they are people that have a certain passion that they focus on. What are the reasons that these people have this uh, ability to, to live longer and not have the issues with disease that others seem to become so afflicted with so easily? Are, are there certain things that you have noticed in those types of individuals that are key components to what you teach in the Mind-Body Code? Well, I, when I studied uh, um, psychoneurology and, uh, and neuropsychology, uh, and, and it's still being done in, in, in many medical schools, is you're told that uh, as you grow older, you deteriorate, and uh, as you grow older, you'll lose some memory. And, and I've heard some uh, scientists say, if you live long enough, you'll die of cancer, and it's all genetics. So I started studying uh, centenarians, and I've 
study them in five continents, over 400 of, of Centenarians, people who are 100 or older, especially, I have focused on Centenarians that are healthy, not Centenarians that, that, are, that are unhealthy, because you don't want to live long and, and unhealthy. And, and at first I thought it was genetics, and as I start looking into it and I begin to ask uh, the ages of the parents when they died and so forth, it's basically about 20 to 25% genetics at most, sometimes even less. Everything else is what I call biocultural. Everything else is how the culture shapes your biology. And what they have is subcultures in, in, in Japan and in, in, in Dukalamba and in, in Ecuador and in the United States. We have 100,000 centenarians in the United States now, the fastest growing segment of the population. And it's not so much medicine. Uh, because although, and, and, and I, I'm a proponent of, of modern medicine and a proponent of, of, uh, of medicine here in the United States, but with all the medicine and all the billions of dollars that we spend, we're still 37th in the world as, as far as longevity and health. So we're not doing mm. that great job. It's not that, that impressive. And what I found with centenarians is that I, when I first started, I would ask them, um, a 102-year-old lady, for example, uh, so what is your secret? And she would say, well, before I go to sleep every night, I have a little um, a shot of rum. So at first I thought, oh, there's got to be some properties in the rum. And another one would say, I have a cigar before I go to sleep or I pray before I go to sleep. And what I found was that the ritual is really what has the power, immunological power that comes way back from when we were in tribes and living in caves. And they have rituals. They, some of them smoke. Some of them eat meat, some of them uh, drink, but they don't do anything excessively, not out of compulsiveness, but because they really, a ritual is something that you do that you don't, uh, you don't abuse. You do it because it has meaning for you, and if you're going to have a cigar, you'll have a cigar once a day, and that's the ritual. And, and it's not like, when I ask them, so why don't you smoke more? Because I don't, I don't need to. I enjoy one cigar, and that, that is my, my, they don't say my identity, but they basically say that is what I do. So... That was one of the things that I learned. I also learned that they don't deteriorate like, like gerontology says. Ger uh, conventional gerontology studies the pathology of aging rather than the causes of health as you're growing older. They don't study that. We, we look at all the pathology of the brain. We don't look at what breaks the, the mold. We call that in science, unfortunately, um, uh, nuisance variables. And those are excluded mm. from studies. You know, so it's, it's an arrogant way of looking at, at life. So what I found is that they don't deteriorate uh, like as you were supposed to deteriorate as you grow older. In fact, I was in uh, when I just finished a, a seminar that I did in, uh, in 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 L.A. a couple of days ago, and I interviewed a centenarian who's 106 years old, and he happens to be a Zen master. And uh, when I asked him, um, "When did your parents die?" He gave me almost like a Zen coincidence. He said, "My parents will die when I die." This is a 106-year-old man. Uh, and he takes uh, an apple and he gives me an apple and he passes it around. And I asked uh, her, um, the, the the assistant, does he take any medication? And she said he doesn't take any medication and he eats whatever he wants. Uh, now, am I advocating no medication? No, I'm just reporting that there are people that don't need medication, that not everyone needs medication, that not everyone deteriorates. So what I'm teaching is how can we learn centenarian consciousness. Everybody can learn it. Longevity is learned. It's very little genetic. It, genetics helps, but it's ne it may be necessary, but never, never sufficient. So then if, if that is learned, I'm thinking about uh, something that I tell people in my show, and it has to do with fear. 
that fear is something that we learn. It's not something that we're born with. We actually learn it because we see it or we feel it or we take it in in some way, and then we call that feeling, which may even be excitement, we turn around and call it fear. If yes. that's the case, then is our belief system in illness or, or, um, or is illness itself something that is learned rather than always something that actually happens to it? And in that learning, do we then create it in our bodies? Yes, and, and stress, uh, stre- there's nothing out there that's stressful. It's the interpretation of the stress that we make that, of it within the context. So for example, when I was doing the, the workshop a few days in, in L.A., I, I was giving an example. I said, okay, here's the context. Right now we're in a seminar. I'm, I'm talking about biocognition and everything's fine. All of a sudden, a lion comes in, and it's a stressful event. You start secreting cortisol, norepinephrine, and so forth. Is a lion uh, stress? No. Because if we were doing a seminar on lion taming, we would say, oh, great, here's another lion I can tame. So what happens mm. to stress? It's an interpretation event. It's an interpretation based on the cultural history that we have of what should be stressful and what should not be stressful. So if you learn that, then you can actually unlearn, you can recontextualize, you can change the meaning at the mind-body level, of course, of what you learned that was bad. Uh, or like when you're told, you're, not, you're really not good with directions and you buy that, and any time you're not good to, with directions, you say, well, I'm not good to, with directions. When you make, quote, the mistake of being good with directions, you'll say, oh, well, this is just a coincidence. So you don't buy it because you don't perceive it as such. And that, as you were saying correctly, that that kind of stress and that kind of fear base is what actually ages people and what makes them live up to the expectations that if you have uh, diabetes in the family, you're going to die of diabetes. And you're going to, it's not like that. It's a propensity. So one example that I can give you, let's say you have diabetes type 2 in the family. Uh, you're told, well, you're going to have a really high probability of, of developing high, uh, diabetes. That's not science. That's probability. Um, you, you can't predict. You can't sentence. So what do you do? You look for, okay, their mom has diabetes and my aunt had uh, diabetes, but Uncle Joe didn't have diabetes. Okay, what is Uncle Joe, Joe uh, like? What, what is, how does he live? How does he perceive the world? And you begin to look at what works, and you develop theories from that, and you begin to challenge the sentencing that you were given. Because a lot of times people are they're told, well, there's cancer in your family. You're most likely you're going to die of cancer. Not only does it create a tremendous fear base, which actually increases the probability of cancer, because when, you, when you're afraid, your natural killer cells that kill cancer go down. So you actually you're, you're fulfilling the prophecy. But also, since you know you're going to die of cancer, well, you say, well, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I need to do. I'm not going to work out, and I'm not going to meditate. I'm not going to do whatever. It's like a sentencing, and that's not good science. That, that's a predatory science, uh, and that's what people need to become very aware of, but also basing it on science, on good science, not on the science that, that's basically um, uh, motivating you to do something based on fear. That's not good science. So as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking about something that I encounter very much on the road with people um, as I'm doing my own show and helping them to understand how to move beyond their stories. And, and right now it feels like even the stories that we tell ourselves that are the wounds that have happened in our life and we keep repeating them over and over again, that in fact is almost like an illness or a disease if we have to keep repeating a story again and again. In going through that situation the first time, there probably was uh, a heightening of whether it was cortisol levels or anything that would be the stress-related 
hormones and reactions from the body. So every time we tell those stories of what happened to us, are we re-engaging the same process because that's what we've imprinted into the body because of that story? Yes, we are, because the brain doesn't know it's not happening. Cognition knows, but the brain, if you're watching, you're you're, you're, uh, having dinner and you're watching a fire and somebody's burning fire, the brain is going to, you're going to have a reaction. You're going to have norepinephrine because the brain is looking at it as as that's a fact. Cognition, if you ask the person, oh, no, I know it's it's not happening, it's on television, but you're going to have a stressful reaction. And I'll give you an example. If you, um, some studies that have looked at what happens when you, uh, when you watch a video of Mother Teresa for 15 minutes, uh, as opposed to watching a, a, a film of the atrocities of the Nazis. People who watch Mother Teresa, after 15 minutes, will have their IgAs up. Very important antibodies that are in your saliva and in your, in your blood. They go up. But if you watch, if you're watching the, uh, German film, although this is World War II and so forth, your IgAs will go down significantly, which means that you're more prone to catching a cold. So don't watch negative. In fact, one of the best, one of the best what's called stress buffers that you can actually experience is having dinner, breaking bread with family without any television and actually discussing. It's in our DNA that comes way back from the caves where it was necessary to discuss not only the nourishment, but the good things that happened and the, and the, the danger that happened. And that had bonding biological effect that actually has a, a, a tremendous, um, it functions as, as a stress buffer. What do we do? We watch television or we're playing with, uh, or we're texting people when we're eating and we're losing that opportunity to, to enhance our immune function. And what we're doing is we're, we're fighting against uh, what is already built in, in, in our causes of health. My guest today is Dr. Mario Martinez, and he is uh, speaking on the Mind-Body Code. This is a 6-CD system uh, that you can get from Sounds True from Amazon or go to his website, biocognitive.com, and it provides you insights and exercises based on his work. You will find out about how to create the healing fields of honor, commitment, and loyalty, the psychology of forgiveness, and special guided practices for liberation from self-entrapment. From fibromyalgia to stigmata, there are fascinating case studies of the power of the mind-body culture connection. In addition, you learn about five portals of wellness and the biosymbolic language of your mind-body, how to break through your ceilings of abundance by healing archetypal wounds and debunking the myths of the aging with the secrets of the centurions. You can find out more at biocognitive.com, and I invite you to go there and also see some of the other articles and information that he has on the site. We'll be right back with Dr. Mario Martinez of the Mind-Body Code. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. In biocognitive theory, individuals are seen as an inseparable bioinformational field of mind, body, and cultural history in constant search for contextual meaning. These fields define the known as inclusive and the unknown as exclusive. The field and their cultural perception are contained within horizons that set off alarms when confronted with the unknown or contradictory context. The operative consciousness that is constituted from our cultural history and our biological foundation determines how we respond to novelty in the contextual co-authoring that ranges from curiosity to panic. Dr. Mario Martinez, creator of the Mind-Body Code, argues that the current mechanical models of life sciences study disease by reducing the body to pathological parts. He proposes that the healing process must include the cultural history that contextualizes the mind-body expression of health and illness. He proposes instead to challenge the cultural beliefs that perpetuate genetic helplessness, and he does this through the mind-body code. You can find out more at biocognition.com, and there you will also find some other articles and and tools that he allows you to receive. But I do urge you to get the 6-CD set of the Mind-Body Code. You can also uh, find out more about his engagement at the L.A. Conscious Living Expo in February, among other things that he will be doing. Uh, Welcome back, Dr. Martinez. You talk a little bit about portals of health, and you also talk about archetypes that are embedded in the body. Will you speak a little bit to both of those things? Yes, in, in studying different cultures, the, the anthropology that I, that I do with different cultures, that I, uh, after seeing many cultures, uh, both uh, Eastern and Western, found that there are basically three ways of wounding, how the culture will wound. It's in the language and it's in the way that it's expressed. And, and those three wounds, I call them archetypal because they, they, I see them in, in every culture uh, that I studied. Um, and, and one is you can be shamed. You can be abandoned or you can be betrayed. And each of them has a, a different biological process. Uh, and the portals of, of health, uh, portals of wellness or health, are really uh, our way of expressing um, the wellness as well as the fears. And we have these portals. And, and the portal, it doesn't mean that, that that's where things are happening. The portals, uh, exactly what, what it means, which is an opening that is expressing the total mind-body 
And one portal, for example, the portal of, of safety, is around your, your abdominal area and your legs. And when you're, for example, in a situation of uh, fight or flight, you're going to, your, your digestion will slow down. Uh, your immune system will stop um, working on, on any kind of uh, infection and blood will flow to your legs. And why? Because it's more important to fight or flight than to eat or than to do the things that you were doing before the fight or flight. So those are portals. And one of the portals, uh, the first one is safety. If you don't have safety, you can't have anything else. You can't talk philosophy when somebody is not safe. And you can't talk about love when somebody's not safe. So that's the first portal. And and people will say, for example, in all language, I can't stomach that. This person gives me indigestion. I mean, that's literal. What's happening? You say it in, in, in a kind of a linguistic way, but it's really a mind-body process that you're, you're expressing. Or somebody says, I, I, uh, I, I can't have peace of mind. Well, that's the portal. That's the fourth portal of, um, of, of calmness and, and serenity. Uh, and those things are really important. And what we do is, is teach people to um, be t- pay attention to that part of the body and to be able to make changes with uh, the techniques that, that, that we show to not live. For example, somebody, uh, 75% of um, uh, CEOs, especially uh, the, the Fortune 100 companies, suffer from gastrointestinal problems. Because it's a safety issue, they'll they'll go out to dinner with their uh, iPad and have lunch with their iPhones, and and they're eating and they're talking and and they're they're uh, alarm, non-alarm, alarm, non-alarm, and that causes indigestion. It causes gastrointestinal problems. That can be reversed. Ten percent of the of the total uh, GDP, the the gross domestic product in in a global sense, ten percent of that goes to dealing with chronic illnesses that are reversible and preventable. That amount of money could feed the poor for the next 10 years. All of the poor people in the world could be fed. Yet, what are we doing? We're continuing to create more problems. And what we do is we give medication to take care of the effect rather than the cost. Mm. And, and as we move forward in really trying to shift, number one, how we view the things that are going on in our life and how we, are, how we have been reared and... Uh, take on the belief systems or the culture, um, how long is the process? Because everyone wants the quick fix. Everyone wants it done yesterday, or they want the magic pill. Is, is there a period of time that this type of process takes to truly integrate, or is it something that can be just as instantaneous if we truly just shift um, the belief and let it truly integrate into the body? It can be instantaneous, or it could it could take a few weeks, a few months. And and the reason is that we, if you have been believing something for such a long time, not only do you believe it, but you speak it, and you find what I call co-authors. So let's say you're ready to change, and that you're no longer a person who's not very bright, or you're no longer a person who has to be sick all the time. You have created co-authors, and the tribes or, or tribes we're still tribal. Reinforce that. A tribe where if you don't want to go out to dinner with someone and you say, look, I'd rather not because I want to relax and I want to go for a walk, they'll say, oh, come on, do it, do it later. Go for a walk later. But if you tell them you have a migraine, immediately you get a pass. Oh, I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? So you have to be aware that, that you have spoken language not only with yourself but with other people, with the co-authors, and you can't change the co-authors. They're not ready for a new dance. What you change is the way you respond to them and then give them permission to not like it. Because a lot of times people talk about uh, being assertive, but they forget the second part. Being assertive is setting emotional limits. The second part is you have to give people permission not to like the limits that you set. 
Otherwise, you, you, you revert back to the other way because um, you don't want to upset people. So that's why it's so difficult. Um, but it's not impossible. If you have the right tools, you can do it. And, and, and most people like to change. But there are co-authors that I call emotional vampires, and those people are committed to misery. Those people are not the toxic. They're just not going to change. And what you do is you need to limit the time that you're with them. And if you don't need to be with them, you can get you can change the the relationship. Or if the people in the family that you want to honor, then you give them the limited amount of time that they can handle love. And that's the problem. People that can't handle long periods of love, they'll start toxifying you. So you'll leave them alone. When things are going too well, they'll say, "Hmm, things aren't going really well. I'm beginning to feel good. How can I mess this up so I don't get any more of that that good?" fuel of, of joy. <laughs> so what they do is they start putting you down and you know that's about as far as they can go. You have to stop there. If you don't, you're going to toxify yourself with those co-authors. So we have these um, these mannerisms and beliefs that we've taken on from our culture and our surroundings, and then there's this greater uh, collective that is carrying all of this. As we're shifting or trying to shift this entire collective, and you speak about these co-authors then how do we each allow ourselves to be the change enough in ourselves that we really assist this collective that, uh, that is in time for change now? Otherwise, our world is just going to continue to move in the direction that it's moving. Well, the first thing, and here's the good news, the first thing is you want to acknowledge that whatever you learned, even illnesses, whatever you learned, had initial wisdom. So, for example, if you're a very passive person and you take, let people take advantage of you or if you're a caretaker, and how do you change that? First, you have to go back to how you learned it, who taught you. But the most important thing is that you have to celebrate that it had wisdom, that it had a, a preservation component. If you were little and you had an overwhelming father or mother, you had to be passive and you had to be submissive because that was the only way that you could preserve your, your, your entity, your, even your health. But then 20 years later, you don't need to be that anymore. You're a powerful man or a powerful woman, and you don't have to be submissive with your partner. You don't have to be submissive with your boss or whatever. And then being aware that it served you well at some point, it no longer serves you well, and then you begin to change gradually the way you respond, gradually the way that, that, you, that you function. So, for example, shame, the, you were talking about the antidotes. Uh, the antidote for shame is honor. In fact, Shame is, is pro-inflammatory. It causes inflammation. And now we're beginning to do some research to begin to show that honor has an anti, anti-inflammatory component to it. it just like uh, interleukins go up, honor can actually create a sense of anti-inflammatory, which we have shown clinically, and we're beginning to do some research now to look at it the, at the immunological level. So gradually, you, but, but if you go back and you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not assertive because I'm weak, you don't realize that you you, were, you had wisdom in not being assertive at some point, but it doesn't serve you well anymore. And that wisdom gives you empowerment then to say, all right, I don't want this anymore. Let me gradually begin to change this, and let me see who are the co-authors of this, whatever it is that you're trying to change, and gradually begin to respond differently to people like that and begin to assert. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, George Solomon, who was the one who created psychoimmunology, he first called it psychoimmunology back in the 60s, was my mentor, and, and he did some research, and he found he was working with HIV-positive men, and he gave them uh, what's called assertive uh, tests, psychological tests, to see how assertive these people were, how much uh, limits they could set. And then he measured the CD4 T cells, which is actually the, the immune cells that the, that the uh, virus attacks. 
And what he found was that the higher the level of assertiveness, the higher the CD4 T cells. So people that were more assertive, HIV positive, lived longer just by being assertive. Why? Because the immune system confirms the reality that we put in front of it. Mm. Now you talked about the archetypes being uh, shame, abandonment, and betrayal. And you talked about the, the antidote for shame is honor. And so the antidote for um, betrayal would be loyalty and abandonment would be commitment. Exactly. These are things that we need to create in our own lives. These are things yes. that we have to initiate in front of us and through us so that we create the changes in our lives. Is that where the healing fields lay? Exactly. And, and the good news is that even if, let's say, you don't know what your, what your wounds are, if you begin to function in that, what I call the bioinformational field, which is you and the people that are within your world, uh, that's like a, like a circle, you begin to function in an honorable, committed, and loyal way, in, in, independent of what your wound is, you're going to be cleaning it up. You're, it's going to be incompatible for you to be sh- ashamed when you're acting honorably. It's going to be incompatible for you to feel abandoned when you're making commitments to yourself and so forth. So that's the good news. But there are ways to going back to seeing what is your wound, how did you learn it, what was the wisdom of it. And, and by the way, not everybody's wounded. There are people that, that have had problems and they work them through and not everybody needs to go through. But most of us, I found, have something that we bring into our relationships. And unfortunately, what we do is we begin to manipulate when things aren't going well for us. We begin to manipulate those wounds with our partners and other people without knowing it, or our partners manipulate us with the wounds that they know, maybe subconsciously, that we're afraid or that we have a fear of being abandoned or, or, or whatever, because we wrap love, because it's a love that we learned very early, around one of the wounds. So if, you were, if you're shamed, then love equals shame. And if, in fact, if you're, not feeling, if, not, if you're not being shamed, you don't feel loved without even knowing it. I had a patient once who told me that she was really concerned that her husband used to beat her. And she was really concerned that he was probably having an affair because he hadn't beaten her in three months. See, it's mm. an entanglement of the wound. And those are the kind of things that you begin to work through, but always empowering that you are a wise person, you have brilliance, and it served you well at some point. It no longer has relevance. It no longer has a contextual relevance. And then that's when it can hurt you because it no longer serves you well. It's, it serves you in a, in a very destructive way after you don't you no longer need to, to do what you were doing initially. You know, this is so powerful because the one-woman show that I put on on the Rebel Road is really to bridge that dark part of our lives and our light part and really say that they're all the light and they're all to be uh, integrated together and combined. And you talk about the psychology of forgiveness and this you have this practice for liberation from self-entrapment and in the, the theming of the show and the whole mission of the Rebel Road, it is that we are to live beyond our excuses to be free, that it is our excuses that keep us trapped. What do you mean by the self-entrapment and, um, and being able to be liberated? Well, that was another, uh, there the are four mindfulness uh, that, that, I, that I propose for centenarianism. And one of them is that they know how to forgive, but they don't forgive intellectually. They don't say, well, I forgive because that person's not perfect. That's intellectual. That doesn't work. What they do is say, let go. And the way they look at it is that it is a liberating act. I'm not forgiving because that person was a predator and I want to I wanna reconcile with them. They continue to be a predator. You don't have to reconcile. But what you're doing is you're taking back the power that that person took away from you and disempowered you. And then the techniques actually teach you to re-empower yourself. And... 
and, and it may be independent of, of the person who hurt you. Let's say someone hurt you, and uh, you have a real hard time forgiving that person because they really, really shamed you when you were 10. Well, it, the way to forgive, which is a liberating act, has nothing to do with the, with the predator. is what you created in your psychological space with that predator. So what you do is you begin to bring back memories of when you were honorable, and when you learn to be honorable, not from the teachings of that person, that person continues to be a bad person, but what did you learn that you actually overcame? And, and again, empowerment. And when you begin to celebrate what you learned, indirectly what happens is you free yourself from that person, and what you're doing is, is out, out of an act of self-love, you're liberating yourself from what that person did to you, and you regain the empowerment that you gave away to that person because that was the best you could do at that time. Yes, I, I always say that forgiveness is forgiving you back to you uh, because it never really is for the other person. It has to be for the self. As, exactly. as you move forward in the world, um, I, I always tell people in my show, and, and I am a strong comp- proponent of that we are each here as experience experiencing itself and that every step that we take in our lives is truly to be the experience that we wanted to discover within. So can you tell me what your experience has been as you've moved through uh, uncovering this research and this wisdom and sharing it with the world, what was it that the soul of Dr. Mario Martinez truly wanted to discover about himself, and what was the myth that wanted to be debunked in creating all of this for yourself? Well, that, that most of what, what most of the acts uh, against us, most of the things that, that hurt us deeply, come from fear, either the, even the people that are hurting us. And one of the, what I, if I had to summarize, I would say, what are we doing here? We're here to learn about love. And that sounds uh, a bit poetic, but we really are. The, the immune system functions best when, when we're in love, when we, when we have compassion, when we're laughing. When, and it doesn't mean you have to be Pollyanna. You, you suffer what you need to suffer, but you don't stay in the suffering. You come out and you move on and you ask yourself, what is the wisdom here? And the good thing is that wisdom and joy are interconnected. They're inseparable. If you can extract wisdom, you'll get joy. If you can extract joy, you'll get wisdom. So I would say that we're here on a journey. We're here to find out what uh, what our what love is all about. But we're not here to get beat up. It doesn't mean that you have to. Uh, someone abuses you, that you have to be compassionate with a person. Even the Buddhists, who are the most compassionate, uh, call it grandmother compassion or idiot compassion. You know, you, you don't uh, allow somebody to hurt you. But at the same time. You don't carry that resentment and you don't carry that toxicity with you because the other person doesn't care. You're the one who's hurting. So again, if, if you can go back to what is the, what is the common denominator? The dynamics of love. And as we learn that, we learn to be more compassionate. We learn to be more mature. We learn to give people opportunities to grow. And, and what does that do indirectly? It, it, it equals healthy longevity if you do that because the centenarians don't live. They don't do things to live long. What they do indirectly makes them live long. If you ask them, are you doing this too? No, I'm not doing it. I do what I love. And indirectly, it equals the longevity that they have. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Martinez, for being on 1111 Talk Radio and for your work in the world, the Mind Body Code. Are you ready to embrace your greatness and empower your dreams? Well, the first step towards help and satisfaction that we all desire begins with one act, and that is allowing yourself to be great. It is in reclaiming your natural state of worthiness that you come back to the wholeness and see anew all the possible 
all the possibilities that are there for you. With the Mind-Body Code, you hold a blueprint to rebuild your dreams and to take control of your life's journey. You can find out more about Dr. Mario Martinez at biocognitive.com. That's B-I-O-C-O-G-N-I-T-I-V-E.com. Definitely check him out and check out this work and start to change your own mind-body code so that you live the life of your dreams. In love, of love, with love and as love, I'm Simran Singh. Until next week, be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens.